Welcome to Hammock Street Church. We're really glad you're here on site and also online. Thank you for joining us today. We're blessed that you have chosen to be a part of our Hammock Street Church community. Please uh, make sure to meet people and kind of find your little niche here. And uh, I think you really enjoy what, uh, what we're all about. Today we're finishing this series that we've called Pack Your Bags. And in this series, what we've been talking about is how to prepare for what's next, for the next season, for the next thing that is coming in our lives. Because whether we know it or not, every one of us, no matter where we are in our lives, has a what's next coming up. And our goal in this series has been to not only talk about what's next, but to help everybody to be ready for whenever what's next arrives. Now, the various, and I know this is not going to be grammatically correct, but go with me here. The various what's nexts come in different shapes and sizes. So your what's next might be something that's urgent. It might be something that's happening today or tomorrow or or within the coming week. But you also might have a what's next that's a little bit more distant. You may have a big event coming up. Maybe there's a birth or maybe there's a, a marriage or a wedding. And maybe it's coming up in the next month or the next year. Or, or maybe your what's next is, is something that's three or four years away. And maybe for some of you, your what's next is retirement, which, which might not be next year, but it might be 10 years away, but you still go, well, that's what's next. There are lots of other what's nexts. I told you I was going to do that. In the world. But the point of it is, for all of us, is that there's something. There's something next. And the temptation as people, the temptation that we have is to think that once we know what's next, because we know what's next, we think we're prepared for what's next. But nothing could be further from the truth. Actually, it's worse than that. There is virtually no correlation between knowing what is coming next and being ready for what's coming next. Knowing doesn't mean you're prepared. It just means you know. You know? And as obvious as that is, it's not as obvious as you might think. For example, this is why couples, young couples, spend way more time preparing for their wedding than they do preparing for their marriage. Yeah. Couples spend lots of time and money preparing for the wedding. They think about the wedding 24-7. They research the wedding on Pinterest and on Instagram and on TikTok. They're looking for wedding tips. They want to learn as much about weddings as they can. But when we suggest premarital counseling, which is, you know, something that I do, something that we do, many young couples just kind of look look at us funny and go, Yeah, look, that sounds nice, but we're too busy getting ready for the wedding. We don't have time to talk about what the marriage is going to be like. And I'm going to suggest something that might be controversial. So you've been warned. Here I go. Preparing for the marriage is exponentially more important to a person's life and happiness than preparing for the wedding. See, weddings can happen really fast. You can do a really quick wedding. Uh, Beth and I, my wife and I, eloped to a foreign country and got married outside in a park in front of strangers. The whole wedding took 15 minutes. I promise you we did not prepare for that wedding. But we'd spent the previous two years preparing for the marriage. And now we're about 30 years into the wedding, almost, and we're still going, still going strong. Have no fear. 
but there's no necessary correlation between knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next. So today, we're gonna learn a prayer derived from the book of Proverbs that will help us to be guided through our what's next in life so that we can better be prepared to handle them. All right, so now let's dig into our fourth and final installment of this series that we're gonna call today Praying Ahead. So it's apropos that we pray. So won't you join me? Father God, we thank you for gathering us together this morning. We thank you for giving us this opportunity to come together as your church, as your people, as your ecclesia, your called out community of people, of believers. We thank you for an opportunity that we have to listen to your word, to understand how it applies in our lives, to imbibe it, to drink it in, and to allow it to become part of us. So God, as we continue on this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna take a few minutes to understand a verse, and then we're gonna see how to turn it into a prayer that will help us in our quest to be guided through what's next. But before we do that, I wanna give you a little bit of background as to why I think this is so powerful. Now, I'm gonna start with this little peek behind the pastoral curtain, if you will. Now, when I was in seminary, which is now a long time ago, I was still working out in the marketplace, as we used to say. And that means I was still practicing law full-time, and I was just a seminary student, just part-time. I like to tell people I, I crammed a three-year Master of Divinity degree into six years. I mean, it took me, took me forever to get through. So anyway, in my seminary cohort, which is a weird way of saying all the people I was going to school with and going through school with, about half of the students in our, in our cohort were full-time ministry people, people employed full-time in Christian ministry. And the other half were people employed, such as I was, in full-time marketplace work. Now, we marketplace students were very proud of ourselves because we thought our path required us to not only find the time to work our way through the mountain of mandatory reading and writing and testing of seminary, but also maintaining our paying jobs, our day jobs, maintaining our houses and our families and so on. And one of the most obnoxious things, and I didn't realize how obnoxious it was at the time, but of course I do now, one of the most obnoxious things that we marketplace people were fond of saying was that our ministry counterparts couldn't relate to how the real world worked. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard, well, that stuff might go over in a church, but not in the real world. And we felt that way too. We, out in the marketplace, felt like we were on the front lines of the sinful world. And we were expertly familiar with all the issues of the non-believers with whom we worked. On the other hand, we crowed, ha, 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 our ministry friends, they only saw people in the church context, only when people were on their best behavior. And not only that, we figured that the ministry people work just one day a week. You know, they work on Sundays, of course. So they had lots of time left over to deal with any issues that would come to them. And I have to tell you right now, and this is a confession, and to, to my buddies, if you're watching and listening, who I did go to seminary with, sorry, you know, Shouldn't have done that. We were so wrong. We were really wrong-headed. First off, we were wrong about how much ministry people worked. Since becoming a ministry person myself, I've learned that A, ministry people don't work only one day. We work seven days and are on call every minute of every one of those days, including holidays, including vacations, even if you're out of the country. 
We're on call all the time. And by the way, I also learned ministry people absolutely hate it when other people think they only work one day, okay? <laughs> Just letting you know. Anyway, in all seriousness, I've learned that my understanding of, of the ministry people was completely backward. See, in the marketplace, it's actually true that people rarely show you who they really are. We rarely show each other our true selves. Working in the marketplace requires you to wear a variety of masks. You have to wear, wear masks around your coworkers and your supervisors and your clients and your customers and your competition. I mean, it's actually something that you never do. You literally never show all of those people in the marketplace the real you. However, in the ministry, when you're a ministry person, people show you everything. I have to tell you, when I first went into the ministry and people started telling things to me, I remember walking into crowds, you know, walking into groups of group events at the church and thinking I was reading people's minds. Because I know, well, well, this person's having a hard time at work. Oh, well, you know, this person is, and that, wow, it was over. It was really interesting. You, you do get deaf to it after a while. But here's something that I discovered when you're, when you're meeting with people in the ministry context, they share with you their triumphs and their challenges and their failures. And before too long, I discovered that some very, very smart people make some very, very dumb decisions. Now, now, I suspect every one of us can relate to this. We all probably know a very smart person who's made at least one very dumb decision. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that a person could be so smart in business or so smart in their chosen field or so smart in three or four different areas, and then when it comes to relationships or, or to money management or to social behavior, they're just dumb. How can this be? It's like, you, it's like you're two different people. But that's the thing about people. Some are better at certain things than others. You all have figured that out, right? I hope so because you're going to be disappointed when you try out for the Dolphins next year if you haven't figured that out. But it's interesting. People can have a high IQ or EQ, emotional quotient, but still struggle in certain areas. I've worked with, no kidding, dozens of ridiculously bright and successful professionals who had virtually no idea what to do with their money. That's what I used to do, is I used to represent customers who lost money investing and try to help them get their money back. I've known brilliant engineers and professional athletes and physicians and architects and accountants and attorneys and entrepreneurs and educators who were totally lost outside of their field of expertise. And as a result, they were not smart when it came to other pursuits. And those encounters always used to make me scratch my head and go, what the heck is that about? How can this be? How can otherwise really bright people not see what's coming in their lives as a result of their bad decisions or their terrible choices? I mean, I could see it coming, and other people told me they could all see it coming. How could those people to whom it was coming not see it? And I've even asked, didn't you see this coming? And sometimes they didn't, and sometimes they did. But they just thought, yeah, but it's not going to happen to me. Yeah, I get it. I'm going to be real careful. It won't happen to me. Or, you know what? That's other people, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty different. Now, I find this phenomenon fascinating, but also frustrating. Because I've discovered by this point in my life, I prefer to learn from other people's mistakes. Anybody prefer to learn from their own mistakes still? Anybody out there? I know 
if you're young, you're not raising your hand, but you do actually. You'd like to make your own mistakes. I get that. I was there. I did it myself. We're parents of two adult children. They're doing it now so we can see. I can never wrap my head around the fact that whenever somebody knew better or should have known better, that, that they chose to do the dumb thing anyway. I don't know if I'll ever get that. But now I have to add one more thing to this because before we continue to throw rocks at other people, I think it is time for a confession, right? I've just described all of us, haven't I? We do the same exact thing. I do the same exact thing. Often, you can ask Beth, she will tell you. No matter how aware we are of what lies ahead, we're not immune to this phenomenon. I'm smart in some areas, but I'm not smart in every area. In fact, I'm smart in far fewer areas than I used to think I was. And that probably describes you too. So what can we do to make sure that we see what's coming and we're willing to recognize it, even when sometimes it's hard to see? And in some cases, we just don't want to know. Because that's what we do sometimes, right? Is we see something coming and we're like, I don't want to think about it. And this is where our verse comes in. Our old friend, King Solomon, had something to say about this phenomenon. So you're going to come with me now to the words of King Solomon that are found in the book of Proverbs. This is our verse for today. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. All right, that's our verse. So now let's go through this verse together, and then let's see how it can help us to formulate a prayer. All right, this prayer that we're going to formulate is going to empower us to know how to talk to God and ask for his guidance in avoiding this very common challenge that we've been talking about. But first off, I want to take notes of the elements of this verse. All right, so in this verse, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see two different kinds of people. We're going to see one similar set of circumstances. We're going to see two different responses to that same set of circumstances. And we're going to see two very different outcomes. All right, that's what we're going to do. So now let's go through our verse, and you'll see what I'm talking about, the prudent. We start with the people known as the prudent. What does it mean to be prudent? That's kind of an old-timey word, isn't it? Do you guys still say prudent all the time, every day? That is not very prudent of you, no? When I was, when I was young, my best friend's parents were college professors, and I spent a lot of time at his house, and I learned all these words when I was a kid. And so I would, I would come home, and I would, I would tell my parents, Mom, Paul, Paul's my middle brother. Paul's pestering me. Pestering me. Who says that? Well, a little kid says that. My friend's house said that. So prudent's kind of one of their words. Anyway, prudent means acting with or showing care and thought for the future. Acting with and showing care and thought for the future. So a prudent person is a person who acts wisely with an eye toward the future. A person who gives thought to their choices and to their actions. A person who understands that all of life is connected, that our decisions in one part of life impact other parts of our life. They understand that the present eventually becomes the past and shows up in the future. The prudent people are people who've learned to lens, to look at things through this question. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing or what is the prudent thing to do right now? All right, that's what prudent people do. They look at the world through that lens. All right, let's keep going. Now, what do the prudent do? The prudent see danger. All right, what's going on here? Well, let's start with 
the axiom, people see what they want to see. Remember, an axiom is, is basically a, a truth that you can't break. People say when you try to break an axiom, you break yourself against it. It's a truth that you just can't break. People see what they want to see. People tend to find the things that they're looking for. People hear the things that they're listening for. That's what we do. It's called confirmation bias. You've heard that before. We actually talked about it a little bit ago when we did our series on Brand Hansen's book, The Truth About Us. We all suffer from confirmation bias. We hear a lot about it these days. Confirmation bias refers to the tendency that we all have to look for information that confirms what we already believe. I do it every single morning when I'm trying to catch up on the news and trying to catch up what's going on during the day. I have to force myself to read opinions that I don't share. I have to force myself because I don't want to read them. I want to read the opinions that confirm what I already believe because I already believe them. If we're committed to something, if we've already decided something, we are consistently on the hunt for information that confirms what we already believe and what we've already decided to do. And at the same time, there's something in us that filters out any information or any facts that don't line up with what it is that we want to do or the direction in which we want to go. In other words, we don't typically look for the downside of things. We don't look for the downside of people once we've determined that we're on board with the upside. The prudent person is different. The prudent person is willing to acknowledge what they desperately don't want to see. The prudent person, the wise person, is willing to acknowledge, is willing to admit, is willing to listen to the very thing they don't want to hear. And this is a tough practice to adopt. They used to tell us in law school that we're not really learning the law and we're not really learning the history of the law. We're learning how to think. And we always rolled our eyes when we heard that. We're like, oh, brother, you know, just teach me how to pass the bar exam. That's all I care about. But actually, that's part of what they were talking about. They're talking about when you look at a situation, break it down, criticize it, be critical about it, figure it out. Because again, as a lawyer, we were paid to represent one side or the other, so you couldn't pick a side. You pick the side you were getting paid for if you were doing it in a lucrative way. Once a prudent person hears what they don't want to hear, and once the prudent person sees what they don't want to see, they do something that most people refuse to do, is they respond appropriately. The prudent, when they see danger, take refuge. That means that when the prudent sees something, even though it's a thing that they didn't want to see, when the prudents hear a thing that they didn't want to hear, because they understand that life is connected, they take refuge. Now, the Hebrew word here that's translated as take refuge is the word nister. Now, in this context, nister doesn't mean what we're tended to think it means. It doesn't mean to convey the cowardly notion of running away and hiding from danger. It do, that's not what it is intended to mean. Instead, the word is meant to communicate a positive response to danger. So if you think of it this way, the, the way the word was sort of developed, you'll understand. Now, the Hebrew term originally described a scout, a military scout, who went on ahead and saw danger and then returned to the leader so the leader could appropriately direct his forces in the face of that danger. So that makes it seem a little better than, oh my gosh, they're just afraid and they ran away. Now, Solomon was saying that the prudent person, the wise person, when they see danger, and recognize danger, they don't ignore the danger. They avoid the danger. 
That's what we were always taught in, in martial arts training. We're always taught, don't walk into the middle of a fight. You don't want to get punched in the face. You want to go home and live. You want to be alive. You need to take care of your business and get out of there. That's what the prudent do. The prudent see danger and take refuge. And then there's a contrast in the, ver in the verse, okay? So the contrast here is the word but, right? That's what a but is. It's contrast. The simple Keep going. This is what Solomon introduces us to. This is the other person in the verse, the second person, but the simple. Now, the simple, interesting Hebrew term also. In Hebrew, the term is petayim. Interestingly, as unflattering as it is to be called simple, that's not exactly what it means. Some translate it to mean naive. Eh, they're just being polite. That word petayim means stupid is what it means. By the way, when we were raising our kids, that was the S word in our house. Stupid. Yeah. Someone said the word stupid, and the kids, oh, <gasps> somebody said the S word. Oh, no. We'll, we'll stick with simple, though, okay? The simple don't get it. They're not prudent. They're not wise. The prudent see danger and take refuge. But the simple, the simple are the people who live as if life isn't connected who live as if events have no relation to one another. The simple believe that the present becomes the past and then it's over, just stays in the past. And about the past, they think, well, eh, that was the past. <clears throat> that was yesterday. Ah, that was another relationship, not this relationship. That's what I did back then. That's what I used to do. But now I'm going to do something new and there's no way that's going to follow me. The simple don't understand that life is connected. The simple don't acknowledge or live as if life is all connected. They say things like, hey, it's just going to work out. Everything's going to work out. So everything's going to be fine. And then when somebody tries to help them to see what they need to see or get them to hear what they need to hear, they're like, that's not going to happen to me. Or it's okay, I'll, I'll be careful. Or I'll be the exception. And in our verse, Solomon's likely implying that unlike the prudent who see a problem ahead and take appropriate action, the simple notice something ahead, and instead of taking appropriate action, they say, nah, that might be ahead. It's not now, though. It's in the future. There's nothing to bother with today. And then they go on and make the same mistakes they've always made. That or Solomon meant, oh, the simple? <laughs> they just never see problems coming. So we don't know which it is. Do they see the problems coming and minimize them or ignore them, or do they just not see the problems coming? And sadly... We're a lot like the simple a lot of the time. That's what we do too, whether we like to admit it or not. And that's not easy to change. You ever try to point out danger to someone who doesn't seem to see the danger? You ever do that? If your parents have teenagers or young 20-somethings and you're telling them, mm, be careful when you're out there. I always say that to the kids, be careful, as if that, you know, that works. Have you ever said to a friend or a loved one something along the lines of, you know, if you keep on doing that thing you're doing, you can expect something bad to happen. You ever done that? If you keep on using your credit card that much, if you keep on spending your whole paycheck at Target, that struck a nerve. Yeah. If you keep on talking to that guy or that woman on your socials, you ever tell somebody that and they become upset with you? How dare you? How dare you tell me what to do? Who do you think you are? I can handle my own life. Thank you very much. I've experienced this phenomenon way too many times. And as Solomon said, the simple either miss the signs 
or they see the signs, but for whatever reason, instead of heading for safety, they just power ahead right into the jaws of the problem. As the text says, they keep on going. They won't see it. They don't see it. They won't see it. They just keep heading into the problem. And by the time they finally see or acknowledge the problem, then it oftentimes is just too late. Many times in life, we very naively or unwittingly move so close to the problem that we hit a point of no return. A couple of years ago, Beth and I bought each other for, for Christmas, kind of what we do for Christmas, Universal Studios annual passes. We did that one year so we could check out the Harry Potter world. All right? Then one week, it was in January, we headed up to the park. We got there, we were so impressed by the, the way they built it, the way they kind of captured the essence of London. We were able to travel to London a few years ago, we love it there. We, we, we really love the way they captured kind of the feeling of the book series upon which the whole land was based. And eventually, we made our way over to the really hyped Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey ride, all right? Now, earlier in the series, I shared with you all my issues with motion sickness. If you've never experienced motion sickness, you have no idea. Those of you who've felt that feeling know just how horrible it can be when I am having this about of any kind of motion sickness. You know, death is like, hmm, it's not the worst idea. You know, it's, it's, it's really awful. Notwithstanding that we bought these annual passes and I was determined to ride the Forbidden Journey ride. Uh, by the way, did I mention that at least one university professor did a thesis on this. The professor in the field of hospitality from the University of South Florida actually described this particular ride that I'm about to tell you about. This is how he described it, the king of motion sickness rides. <laughs> not the prince, not a duke or earl. I didn't know that at the time. Anyway, so Beth and I got online, and at the beginning of the line, here's the sign. We read this sign. Expectant mothers, back or neck, similar physical conditions, fear of heights, medical sensitivity, heart conditions, abnormal blood pressure, motion sickness or dizziness, medical sensitivity, strobe effects, arm or leg cast. I have at least a few of those in my quiver. I, I am a, I'm a very affirming of people with all of those maladies. Anyway, Beth saw the sign. Beth, you guys know Beth if you do. She's, she's kind of a rule follower, so signs like to scare her. And she saw the sign and she became very concerned. And she was worried that I was going to get motion sick on the ride. So she told me, listen, I am totally okay if we don't go. And we've been together long enough that I believed her. She was telling the truth. She said, I won't be mad if we leave. Seriously, no problem if we turn around now. And I was having none of it. I ignored the sign and I pressed on. So we kept on walking through the line, getting closer and closer to the ride, and a few minutes later, we were confronted with another sign. Here's the other, more specific sign. <laughs> so the previous sign was about 10 different things, which maybe it gets lost in the sauce there, okay? But this one says, just to make it clear, out of all those things we told you to avoid, if, if you have these problems, you need to avoid this ride, this is the one we really want to remind you of. If you are motion sickness or prone to motion sickness or dizziness, yet don't go. What did I do? I kept going. You're right. You guys are in the future too. This is good. So we sat down in our seats. The attendant buckled us in. And Beth turned to me one more time. And she said, are you sure you're okay? And I lied. Of course I am. And the ride started to move. And not five seconds in, I started the sweat. And I'm not talking about 
just a little moisture like you get when you walk through the car. I'm talking like flop sweat, like squirting off me sweat. And then I began to turn a lovely shade of yellow-gray, a little green thrown in there. And it was at that moment that my misgivings finally kicked in. But within seconds, I was past the point of no return. And the ride lasts four minutes. If you had four minutes to live and you have motion sickness, I suggest that ride if you want your life to last as long as possible. <laughs> See, I changed my mind about the ride, but it was too late. I knew I'd have to suffer through it, and boy, did I suffer. I spent the next three minutes and 55 seconds praying that I didn't throw up on my wife. <laughs> you ever been through this nausea thing and you, you do this deep breathing thing, you go, if I can get enough oxygen on top of this nausea, it'll go away. I'm gonna, I'm gonna breathe this away. Yeah, that doesn't work, just so you know. My efforts were futile. When the ride finally ended, my shirt was wringing wet, soaking wet all the way through. I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk. The only, I did not throw up on Beth, thank God. Because I did tell you we're coming up on an anniversary. Yeah, so you could tell. But the reason I didn't throw up on her is that I didn't think that throwing up on my wife would be good for our relationship. Remember I told you we, we worked on preparing for our marriage? That's one of the things I learned, and so I knew better. But here it is. I knew there was peril ahead. I chose to ignore it until it was too late, and I suffered the consequences. See how that works? And I need you to know something. You might not have motion sickness, but you've done the same thing. We've all done the same thing. For each of us, there are areas in our life in which we've made a bad decision, but we kept on pressing on until we hit the point of no return. There are areas in all of our lives in which because we are so stubborn, We've filtered out all the information we don't want to see or hear, and we've gone too far, and we have no choice but to face the consequences, and that, if you didn't figure this out yet, is not a good thing. We've ignored all the warnings because warnings come to us when we're still comfortable, when we still think we're okay, when we're still confident with our actions. That's when we get the warnings. It's rarely when it's too late, but we get the warnings before we experience the actual issue that awaits us, and when we finally see the problem if that happened to us, it's just too late. We're past the point of no return. And no matter how hard you pray after that point of no return, no matter how hard you pretend to be okay after that point of no return, no matter how hard you squeeze your eyes closed so you just don't see it, it doesn't matter. Once you've gone past the point of no return, that's it. And here's the thing. It's true in every area of our lives. There's a time where you can get out, and there's a time when it's too late to get out. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, said, the simple, keep going and pay the penalty. And by the way, I want you to understand this. When this happens to you, please don't blame God. This is not a punishment from God. In those situations, your suffering is of your own doing. You got to own that one. That's how that works. You had an opportunity to avoid the problem, but you chose to ignore it. It's all on you. You wouldn't see or couldn't see the issue ahead. You pressed on to the point of no return and you got yourself into trouble. The prudent see danger and take refuge. The prudent do something about the danger, but the simple, they keep on going and they suffer. So from this point, it's, it's accurate to say that prudent people look to the future of their situation. When they're in a relationship, they think of where that relationship is going in the future. Simple people consider only where it is in the present. 
Prudent people understand that life is connected. So when considering their finances, particularly when taking on debt, the prudent people talk about the end game. They think about where the debt will actually lead them. Hey, if I buy this new house and borrow some money in 30 years and 15 years, it'll be a solid investment. That's actually most people's largest and most successful investment is their home. The simple just view debt as an event. They view it as something they just did in the past. Oh, I bought this very expensive pair of shoes today. I bought this very expensive tool today. I bought this very expensive golf club set or whatever today. But they never think about how it's going to affect them in the future. It's just something I did. You get that? Okay. Let's start to wrap this up. The prudency, danger, and take refuge. The simple, keep going, and pay the penalty. This should worry you. As we just saw, we're not immune. You're not immune. There's certainly something coming up in your life that needs your attention. Now, hopefully, it's something you're looking forward to, but often it's something challenging. And no matter which one it is, simply knowing what it is can mean that you're not prepared for it. It doesn't mean that you're prepared for it. You can be prepared for it, however, if you begin to live your life with the understanding that everything is connected. If you live your life with this understanding that the present becomes the past and ultimately comes up in the future, you'll know how to be ready for whatever life throws at you. And when you see things you don't want to see, and when you hear things you don't want to hear, if instead of ignoring those things, you understand that you have to take proper action, and then you take the action, you will be well on your way. Now, as promised, I want to tell you what we have seen today. We said we were going to see two different kinds of people, the prudent and the simple. We said we were going to see one similar set of circumstances. Danger lies ahead. We said we're going to see two different responses to the same set of circumstances. The prudent take refuge. The simple keep going. And we said we're going to see two different outcomes. The prudent thrive and the simple pay the penalty. All right? If you're a praying person, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have recognized the sin nature with which we're all born, that human nature that drives us towards selfish sin and requires a savior to redeem us, and if you knowing that, you've recognized that notwithstanding our inherent sinfulness, Jesus loves us anyway, and out of his love for us, he's made a way for us to be connected forever to God when we'll turn from our natural selves and understanding how Jesus paid for all of our sins when he died, was entombed, and rose from the dead, ascending to heaven and promising to return one day to usher in God's kingdom here on earth, knowing that if you've devoted your life to Jesus' lordship, if you become a praying person, a follower of Jesus, here's a prayer that you can incorporate into your life that will help you remember how to prepare for the things that lie ahead. So here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, help me see trouble coming and then... Give me the wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do it. Help me to see and hear things with my eyes and ears wide open. That's it. Give it a try. God answers this prayer. Now, by the way, I'm guessing you already know that's true because you probably haven't prayed that yet and you're already identifying some of the things that are coming up in the future for which you're going to need to pray. You're going to need to pray for preparation for those things. Just knowing you have to, you're going to start identifying it. There's power in simply knowing that we need to stop ignoring future issues. And this is really cool. 
you'll know you're on the right track when you're consistently praying this prayer and you find that you can no longer ignore the things that you used to ignore. And when you're no longer ignoring those things, well, you'll begin to deal with them. And hopefully, you'll deal with them with prudence. God answers this prayer. So, when, when you're faced with whatever's next, when you think about whatever's next, ask yourself, are there any red flags? Are there any concerns? Is there something you're desperately trying not to see? You got to look for it. You have to interrogate the situation. Is there something that you're trying not to hear? If there is, it's time to take a beat. It's time to take refuge. That's the time to do something because sooner is better than later and sooner will make later better. The prudent see what there is to see. The prudent hear what needs to be heard. The prudency danger and take refuge. The simple keep going and pay the penalty and they suffer harm. Will you commit to praying this prayer or one like it every day? And I want to address that. One like it, okay? That wording I have up there is not from Sinai, okay? I didn't, God did not hand it down to me on tablets of stone. So make it your own. Put it in your own words. If you won't use those words, pick words you will use. Keep the essence the same. But if you begin to pray this prayer, God will answer it and you will be better prepared for what's coming next. That's it. That is my entire sermon series on packing your bags. I hope you heard something in this series that helps you out, helps you better navigate the things that we face in life, helps you better experience the world. So why don't you pray with me and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Thank you for giving us your word and showing us the way that you would have us live this life, have us face future challenges. God, give us the patience and the strength and the ability to see what's up ahead and to consider it with eyes wide open, consider it with hearts wide open, consider it listening for your Holy Spirit's leading, considering what it means, and then allow us, God, to take appropriate action so we can continue to live this abundant life to which you've called us. God, we thank you for this time. We ask for a blessing upon all here today listening to us in person or online. God, give them the strength to make those good decisions to give you glory. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.